So we are <clears throat> coming up on our second year anniversary of being in this building. Yes. Yeah, we're talking about the things going on over there. <clears throat> in December of 2017, uh, we had our first service here on Christmas Eve. I don't know, maybe if some of you are with us on there. We didn't have those screens, the, the TV screens up yet. And we, but we were happy to be in the building. Amen. And, and we are so thankful um, that God opened the door for us to have this property. You know, we look back on the 13 years that we were at McQuishan School. You mentioned, you know, we're doing an outreach to them, to the children mm -hmm. there now, and setting up and tearing down for 13 years. We've had pastors over the years, you'd go to conferences and talk, chit-chat about, you know, where you're from and what you're doing. It's like, we've been setting up and tearing down. And for how many years? They go, how do you do, how'd you do that <laughs> for 13 years? And all I can say is it's just amazing how the grace of God works in our lives through all the seasons of our life. You know, because you look back on that now, and I think that set up and tear down. How did we do that for 13 years? <laughs> that was a lot of work. Uh, but God's grace carries us through. Amen. Sometimes in, the, in things that are more difficult than we realized at the time, until you look back on it and you think, that's how we made it here thus far. <laughs> so, but in the March of 2017, just a little history of the church, for some of you that don't know this, God opened the door for us to purchase this building. Uh, it, it went up for bid. Uh, and we received bank approval to, to do renovations. I mean, we got the bid. The bid was only $150,000, if you can believe it. We got this property for $150,000. Not $1.5 million. It was. Yeah. What do you buy now for $150,000? You have a hard time buying a house for $150,000. Uh, but there were, of course, uh, contracts and there were contractors and architects and engineers and building permits to buy and people to pay and walls to remove and chairs to buy am i a little loud it seems like i'm my yeah. am i good okay seems like it's loud back here but but there were just there was a lot to do in order to get ourselves into this building oh. so we spent tens of thousands of dollars a lot of money on updates just even electronics alone to put a security system in and, and Wi-Fi throughout the building. There was cost for two heating and cooling units in the sanctuary here to make it uh, equal. So actually we have three in here, but mm -hmm. one is the older one that came with the building. So we were required um, to fix the parking lot, to clear it, to resurface it, to make room for additional parking spaces. We put a security system in with cameras uh, in the building and through the just the generosity of people here at CLC, we, we purchased the riding mower, was that last summer, right? Last summer. Then we had to get a road sign, which cost, you can't believe some of these costs, $9,000 for that road sign. Every time I go past it, I just think, oh, you just look beautiful for $9,000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, $9,000 for a sign. Yeah, and but that was because you had to have permits and you had to have a wind study? Yeah, I mean, just some of the things that you don't anticipate when you're purchasing and building. And so our loan to remodel and just buy what I just described here, the basic furnishings to get it updated and ready, was two times the amount of what it costs to put the bid in and purchase the building. It was right. 150000 but we had to borrow double that, 300000 to do the things that we had to do here to get it updated. And thankfully, you know, we followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit a couple years in at the school. When we were a couple years in, the Holy Spirit was saying, begin to just take a building offering up one time a month, ask people to give towards a building fund. And people did. Right. And thank God that we did that because we had $100,000 saved in the bank whenever this opportunity came up when God opened the door. And it was really that allowed us, really with that equity, to be able mm -hmm. to get a bank loan to do what we could do. And so uh, we're always sowing seed in our life. You know, I think that's the other thing to remember for a future harvest in our, in our life, whether it's our time, whether it's your giftings, whether it is your treasure, literally your money. You know, we have to be like a patient farmer because sometimes we want this instant thing, don't we? It's like, I gave, why didn't it come tomorrow? I mean, Amazon, <laughs> I'll get it to you today. Like, we want things so fast in our life, and it really is contrary to the kingdom of God. Yes. We've got to see long-term in our life. And it's like we talked last week, we're not living for the dot. 
But, you know, the 80, 90, 100 years that we live here, we're living for the line of eternity. Amen. And so what we do when we sow our life into now will make all the difference in eternity. Mark it down, it will. And so this, you know, even just hearing these words today, we pray that they enter your heart, yes. deepen your heart, and you realize the purpose for your life is not just to live for the dot, but for the line. And so even though our congregation is small, maybe small, we have and we do live by faith. Amen. Because this is all really a work of faith here. And, you know, we, we have faith in a big God who's given us really the most important mission a person could have on this earth. Yes. To seek and save the lost, to make a disciple. That, is where Jesus is great, that was his great commission, and it's still the great commission. If you'd ask the Lord today, what is the great commandment he would say i want you to love me with all your heart soul mind and strength he would still be speaking yes. that to us today and then the commission well, what do you want me to do lord he would say i want you to go into all the world preach the gospel and make a disciple yes that's pretty basic and that's really what the local church is about we're here to preach the gospel we're here to get lives changed and followers of jesus christ and so, you know, in 2017, we, we added as much as we could to our personal, to, in our own labor to reduce the cost of what everything, you know, was accumulating to be. And all the work done in mile one, over in mile one, was volunteer congregational labor because right. our loan was really to cover this side of the building. Steve and I spent the summer, 2017 it was, yeah, <laughs> painting. We, you know, before we could even occupy the building, we were able to be here. We couldn't really occupy it to have a service, so we began painting the outside right. of the building. And then a group of us began tackling the inside of the building. How many of us remember all those things that we did over there in mile one? I mean, just through hard-working volunteer effort, labor, yes. carpets were ripped out, Classroom floors were refinished or recarpeted. Uh, we prepped and painted. I don't. There are a lot of doors in this building. <laughs> a lot of doors, metal doors that needed to be prepped and double coated with metal base. I mean, metal certain kind of paint. So we there it was just a labor of love all summer. There were some who were more. We painted walls, but some with more artistic talent, like Miss Mary over here and Miss Amanda there did did their artistic flair in Gateway and in Yosemite, painting yes. the walls in there to make it look nice and creative and pretty for the kids. And, you know, the, the kitchen was updated. Someone donated a stove and a refrigerator. And I'm just so proud of our church. Amen. Right? You know, really, truly. I mean, Community Life Church, I'm, we're proud of yes. you and the labor of love that you put in to make it happen and that you continually give to make it happen. Because it's creating a wonderful home for our a spiritual family. Mm -hmm. This is really what this building is about. It's not, I mean, the building isn't anything. It's what goes on in the Amen. building. But you do need a building, amen? amen? The kids need a place to be taught the word of God. And so at the time of our move-in, we stretched our loan money as far as we could go. We didn't have any funds left over to update much in mile one or to replace the heating and air conditioning wall units like that you see. They're covered by curtains in here. Uh, they were all functioning at the time. Praise God, they were. <laughs> and the contractor said, you know, these are old units. They're not going to last you forever. But they did get us in the building. They yes. were working at the time. But now we're experiencing one by one they're giving out. And the children need adequate heat in the classrooms. Amen. Amen? We just canceled. Uh, we moved the... Uh, Yosemite into uh, this morning uh, because it was just a little too chilly in there. Yep. We put a heater on overnight, but we're actually going to get some curtains for the windows too, some nice thermal curtains, which will help uh, keep the heat in. But what goes on in the hearts of the children? That's the most important Amen. thing to remember. What's happening in those classrooms? Their hearts are getting changed. Their hearts are hearing the gospel. And their lives will be forever changed from it. And so this is why we're taking up the special offering at the end of today's service mm -hmm. to help fund the purchase of those of three of the ones that we need the most. And we did, we had a bid for $19,000 for all three of them together, which we're working to reduce that amount, getting a few other bids.
but it's still going to range upward towards $15,000, I would more, think. Or more, yeah. But, uh, but we began an all-in for life giving campaign uh, when yeah. we purchased the building. Yeah, that, that all-in for life is, means exactly what it says, all-in for life. It means our total commitment to the mission of Community Life Church, which is uh, commissioned by God himself. It, it means all-in for life. Uh, it means, like Pastor Mamer said, we're not living for the dot. We're living for the line of eternity. And everything that we are doing is driven by the perspective of living for eternity. And what we need to do is to bring the gospel to this, this city. We all know that this city needs help. Just reading the newspaper. We all know that this country needs help. We all know that the schools need help. We all know that Pastor Mamie's husband needs help. <laughs> we all know that she needs help. <laughs> but we're here to bring the good news, the gospel, to the lost, to the children, to, to the families that are here. And we have a great opportunity to help out those people who are in need. But yet we are able to bring it to a point where, you know what, we're opening our church for you. We want you to come and not just be clothed. We don't want you to come and just be fed. We want you to come and have your eternity changed. We don't want it just to be here in these four walls. We want this city to be touched. We want our world to be touched. Amen. We're here to make disciples for Jesus Christ. Do you understand? It's not just the pastor's. It's your responsibility. God didn't put an asterisk by there and say, except for Dan. He didn't put your name there except for you. There's no excuse for you or I not to be a witness for Jesus Christ. It doesn't say you have to have a, a, a degree in theology. It says, just tell somebody about what happened in your life. And really, the all-in for life. It means your total life given over to the mission. And the truth is, we are going to stand here in front of you today in an unapologetic way and ask you to be all-in for the mission, too. Yeah. Don't live for the dot. Live for eternity because you will all stand before Jesus Christ, as will we. And do you know what the biggest thing's going to be in life at that moment? Regret. We're giving you an opportunity so that you don't stand there being regretful. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Isn't it better to know the outcome or what's going to be expected of you then and there, right here and now, so you can change what happens? Are you all in for the mission of God? I mean, really, you have to ask yourself. So then you would say, well, what does it look like? What does all in for, for life mean? It means I go to a monastery and go into the hills and never talk another word. And No, it, it, it means, did you surrender your life to Jesus Christ? Did you really give your life to Jesus? Not did you say some prayer some time ago, long time ago when I was moved emotionally? No, did you give your life completely to Jesus Christ? Because that's what you're going to have to answer. Were you water baptized? Water baptism is a public acknowledgement of that commitment that you made to Christ. And that, admit, that, that baptism is being baptized into the body of Christ. Into the body of Christ. Uh, are you growing as a disciple? This is another all-in. Are you growing as a disciple? Have you come to any of our, our little meetings that we have here? We just did a Francis Chan study on the book of James. It was outstanding. Yeah. And then we break up into groups where we each share our heart. I'm struggling with this. I'm, I gain a victory over here. This is how you become a disciple. It's not just Sunday morning and then I wait till next weekend. It's daily. Are you, are you committed to the family 
here at Community Life Church. This is, Pastor Mamie made a mention of it. This is your spiritual family. You know, I have, I have people who are closer to me in this church than I do family members. And I'm sure that some of you can say the same thing. I have closer relationships here at church than I do with family members. The other thing is, is what does it look like to be all in for life? Jesus was the greatest servant that there ever was. We're being conformed to his image. That's what's happening in your life. Are you serving somewhere? Are you living beyond yourself? Are you serving somewhere for team life here at this church? Maybe are you imparting some insight and some wisdom to one another? This is, this is all in for life. This is what it means. Are you financially invested in this church? All in for life. It's not just serving. It's your entire being. Because that's what Jesus is going to ask. What did you do? What did you do? What did you do? We want you to answer the right way. Do you know what the Bible declares 52 times a year, Mr. Brewer and others give you a teaching from the Word of God about God's viewpoint of money. This is for your benefit so that you are investing in eternal life because Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You would hate to understand that Jesus, when he opens the books up and then there's your name, but there's nothing underneath it. We don't want that for you. Amen? We don't want any spectators in church. It's not a come on the weekend. Okay, there it is. I did my job. Now I'll come back for next weekend. This is on your outline. You should be followers of Jesus, not just fans of Jesus. You know, I've gone to the University of Michigan. I, I, I grew up in Ann Arbor, and I do not know how many football games that I went to at the big house. But there was, it's packed out. Over 100,000 people come to that stadium every home game. People get pretty excited there. Fans do, yeah. He's an Ohio State fan. I let's pray for this guy that that they that Ohio State loses to Michigan. <laughs> Hundred thousand people screaming and yelling their heads off. They paint their faces. They paint their bellies. You know, they have the little flag on their car. You know, it's they're excited about it. They're screaming. They're yelling. They but they. Well, I was going to say, they've seen the lines for tickets. Oh, my freezing. gosh. Yeah, I grew up in Ann Arbor. And so getting tickets to the game, there were a time, this is past history, where people would camp out overnight in the middle of winter to get tickets. But, you know, here you go back to the same thing. At 6 o'clock in the morning, the team is running wind sprints. You know, in the fourth quarter, the team is gathering together to make a big comeback to destroy Ohio State. <laughs> but where are the fans? Well, the fans are in the kitchen getting the 20th chicken wing and getting it ready. You know, or they're getting the refill on their drink. You know, they're, 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 this is the fan. This is a fan. Then if the things aren't exciting them enough, if they lose, they got a fourth down. Oh, they have to punt. Oh, there was an interception. Now the, the fan starts to wane his enthusiasm for the team. They let me down. They let me down. Then he quits going to the home games. You know, he gets, he gets, he gets, his flag off he gets a flag <laughs> off the car. You know, this is like... <laughs> You know what? They might even switch teams. Heaven forbid they start rooting for Ohio State. <laughs> but, th you know, this is the key. We have the same type of fans in the church. We do. Not followers of Jesus Christ. The church in America is filled with fans. Yeah. 
Jesus is looking for people who will live and die with the team. Yeah, that's good. Live and die with the team. So today we want to look at what it looks like to sacrifice for the mission. You know, all throughout Scripture, from the beginning to the end, we see God as an extremely generous God. Okay, And he's wanting to teach us to be the same way. Well, you have to look at Jesus this way, and you, and you really can see it. I mean, at the beginning, God creates this abundant universe. He mm. puts everything in it, flowing, overflowing with beauty, plants, animals, trees, oceans. And he says there's gold in the, in the earth, and there's minerals, and there's precious stones. And he's like, I give it all to you. Take it. Mm-hmm. Have dominion. Use it. Steward it. Enjoy it. And then after Adam and Eve, you know, they blow it. God then gives his most treasured possession. Think about it, Jesus, his only begotten Thank you, son. Jesus. His very best so that we could have our sins forgiven, so we could know and have eternal life. So he gives his son, who is the very best treasure the earth could ever have, to welcome us back into the kingdom of God. God is a generous Amen. God. He's an open-handed giver. He gives to us all things freely to enjoy, he says. And so we serve a generous God, and he's trying to get his children to say, you know, you come after me, you're born of my spirit. You do have this same generous Amen. spirit on the inside of you. That's where it comes from. But yet when you bring up money in the church, people say, well, I don't know why I have to be a part of this. Let somebody else do it. And, mm. you know, I don't have enough as it is. And we just, this money thing, it, it affects all of us. It afflicts all of us. And, you know, that, when we say things like that, I don't know why you have to talk about money and let somebody else do it. it it's a heart that doesn't understand the heart of Jesus. Correct. Positive. Because when Jesus, this is on our outline, talks about generosity, he's not after your money. He is after your heart. This is what Jason was saying there at the beginning. He's after your heart. God doesn't need our money. He's not like, oh, I ran out of gold. His streets are paved <laughs> with gold, right? I mean, he multiplies. He takes loaves and fish, and he multiplies it and feeds 5,000. Come on. He tells Peter, go catch a fish, a gold coin he brings forth out of a fish's mouth. He doesn't need our money. Yet God's expectation is that the rich and the poor alike Mm -hmm. should give in the kingdom in a way that reflects generosity and sacrifice on each of our parts. Come on. Because he's after your heart. You know, like generous and sacrificial giving reflects this transfer of what you treasure, which is our money. And he says, take your treasure, but use it for the kingdom. And it makes a statement when we do that of what we value. It makes a statement to God about what we think about our money. You know, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, uh, this is a story about King David, and it talks about Mm -hmm. sacrificial giving. Uh, David at that time is king, and he is gone. Uh, is quite successful. What he does then, he decides to make a count. He takes a census of the people of Israel. Now, this God's not against counting people. That's why numbers is in the Bible. <laughs> Anybody know their Old Testament? numbers. It was a joke. (laughs) Go to the table of contents. We'll start off there. (laughs) Numbers, Leviticus, it talks about counting. But God says it's okay to count when I tell you it's okay to count. (laughs) But David, even though Gad, who was a prophet, how about that name, Gad, He was a prophet. He told David, don't count the people. He's warning David from God, don't count the people. David goes ahead and does it. Well, what happens then is God sends a plague because of David's disobedience. Here's the leader of a nation. And the nation now is paying for the price of that guy's sin. You might want to know why America's in a bad shape. But David's heart then gets pricked. He recognizes he sinned against God. He did something that was just absolutely against what God was saying. And so Gad, the prophet, comes to him again and says, you need to go buy the 
threshing floor of Onan. I think that's what his name is called. Well, it depends on if you if you read Second Samuel twenty four or if you read Second Chronicles, is is the same incident, but his name is spelled different. <laughs> But David's heart is pricked, and he recognizes he sinned against God, and the people are being destroyed because of his sin. And he is, he's gone to a place where he recognizes, this is my fault. And so the prophet comes and says, you need to go by the threshing floor of this gentleman, and you need to build an altar there, and you need to sacrifice for your sin. And so he's going, he's getting this all arranged. He comes up to where the, th the threshing floor is. And of course, this gentleman is a loyal believer in King David. He comes out and says, oh, King, why, why are you coming here? He says, I'm coming to get by your threshing floor so that I can make sacrifice to God to stop the plague. And of course, this gentleman goes, you know what, King, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. I'll give everything it needs. I'll give you the oxen. I'll give you the wood for the fire. I'll give it all to you. Now, how many of us would say, free? Yeah, this is about right. We I'm like favored to God. Like I, I should be, yeah, favored to God. But this is not what uh, David, King David says. It says, first, 2 Samuel, verse 24, 24. It says, the king replied to this gentleman. <laughs> it's easier. Yeah. See, when we go to heaven, we'll get to know all these guys' names, and yeah. it'll just flow out of our mouth. Yeah. <laughs> but until, <laughs> this is what David's reply to us. No, I insist paying, for you, paying you for it. I, listen, this is it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. It's sacrificial giving. We looked a couple weeks ago about the widow's mite. Poor woman. Two mites. They made one cent. But Jesus took note of that sacrificial giving, and he declared that she gave more than all the rich people combined because it was a sacrifice. And David does the same thing. See, God, throughout his word, teaches us about his character. It teaches us what pleases him, what he dislikes. And so as we read the word, the Bible declares we're partakers of eternal life. If you want to partake of more of eternal life, get in the word and read more of the word. This is the questions we ask you to contemplate and to ask God. Because, you know, sacrifice for people is different. The sacrifice that I can make is different from the sacrifice that you can make. It's the same thing that with the widow's might. That was a sacrifice on her part, but the rich people were giving out of their surplus. Yeah. And so these were some of the questions that we wanted you to ask God to help you on what would be a sacrificial gift from you. And this is the first question. Does this amount express the level of thanksgiving I have for how CLC has blessed my life and family? Second question we ask you to ask God is, does this offering show I value my hope of eternal reward more than material things of this earth? The third one was, does this amount represent a genuine sacrifice? And then the last question we ask you to contemplate is, does this amount really, really, does this amount really stretch my faith? These are questions that we wanted you to ask God and to ask your own heart. Invite God in on this. Now, I've heard from uh, husbands and wives here about how that God has been involved with their asking these questions. They followed through. They actually asked these questions. And he went to one side of the house. She went to another side of the house. They didn't team up together and say, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? No, they both got alone with God. 
and they had ears to hear. And they both came back together and they both had the same amount. This is God's, in, when you start to invite God in on things that really matter to you and you're willing to be in neutral, allowing God to tell you what He wants you to do, this is when you're starting to make spiritual progress. This is when you start to grow mature spiritually. Yeah. These are really important. Yeah. Because I know the amount that I had in my heart, I knew, um, just tell you the amount, but it doubled. It was like you, you start to think, anyways, I'm just saying it stretches your faith. Yes, it does. And sometimes what you can start out in neutral, it's like, yeah, that seems, that's good. And then when you, you allow the Lord to really work on your heart, you realize mine doubled anyways. And then it, we met each other in the... The middle, and then so mine doubled hers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we met in the middle. <laughs> but, you know, this whole money thing. How many people do you think come to church with the thought that church is just a f free place to come? A lot, don't you think? Everything's free. Everything's yeah. free. I mean, and it is a nonprofit organization, of course. But we do get calls fairly regularly from people that we don't know, never met them, asking, Would you, can you pay my rent? I owe whatever amount. I mean, sometimes it's a lot. Mm -hmm. Can you pay for a, a, a transportation? Can you pay my utility bills? And, and, you know, there was a time, I think long ago, in the, when, you're, when you're funded as a denominationally based church, you do have benevolent funds that come from the higher part of that organization. We're an independent church, and so our benevolent money is restricted to the people within the church. And, uh, but over the years, you do see, and I, think, I don't think that there's anybody out here that hasn't seen it, that sometimes you do want to see a bit of gratitude and reciprocity for mm -hmm. the help that you do give people. And, you know, I just wonder how many people come to church regularly, you know, with an attitude of, I just want to come and go as I please. I want it to be here. I want it to be warm. I want it to be amply supplied. I want my children taken care of. And I'm not just talking about this church. I think any church. Right. But let somebody else fund its mission. I don't know how they get their money, but I just like to come and hear what I need to hear. But think about it. What price can you put on a message that brings you the knowledge of truth? and hope, and forgiveness of your sin, and eternal life. Right. What, how much value is there in that message? You know, how, how, how valuable is it to you? And this is some of the things we have to ask ourselves when the church is asking and even talking about money. It's like, well, what has this message done to my life? Is it valuable to me? Is it valuable that we're here so that other people can come and hear the mm -hmm. gospel? And, you know, how... The way you give and invest financially in the work of the gospel to make it happen, it makes a statement to God on how you value his whole mission. I mean, it's just, it's pretty right. basic. And looking at David's example, he insisted, like, out of deep gratitude in his heart, knowing the mercy of God that was shown him. You know, his own forgiveness, he didn't deserve it, but he insisted, I want to give something back as a way to say thank you for what you've done for me. And yeah, he could have taken it for free. He could have said, free? Yeah. <laughs> but the Lord actually desires it and is pleased with our sacrifice because he, the Father, made the greatest sacrifice of all giving his son. Amen. So it's like he's saying, I want to teach my children what it means to sacrifice and trust that I will repay. I will, I will see. And, you know, people have said, well, if others are big givers, then let them carry the weight. Or I hardly have anything, like you said, the, the widow's might in comparison. Mm -hmm. But the widow who gave her two mites, we talked about this, I think, the first week, God noticed her giving. In fact, he commended her even right. above the people who gave in large amounts. He said because she gave in sacrificially. And so rich and poor alike, God is expecting that we should give in a way that reflects a sacrifice back, you know, in gratitude of our heart. Correct. Yes. You know, we see this in Exodus again. You know, in the Old Testament, you know, God had this great mercy in delivering the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Uh, 
God led them miraculously through the Red Sea by His mighty hand. There were miraculous miracles that happened in Egypt to allow the Pharaoh to get convinced <laughs> to let his people go, let God's people go. He, he led them through uh, at night with a pillar of fire. He led them during the day with a, with a, a pillar of cloud. Uh, there was feeding them manna in the wilderness. There was water that came out of a rock. They were safe uh, from their enemies as they went through for 40 years in the desert. Uh, but you've got to understand, they were in the wilderness. They were in the desert. And these weren't the most comfortable circumstances. As a matter of fact, it was difficult. There was hardship. There was struggle. Uh, yet we see God, even in the struggle... Even in the hardship, he's asking them to give sacrificially in order to build the tabernacle in the wilderness. The tabernacle is where the very presence of God dwelt. See, God commands us to use our stuff to build his kingdom here on this earth. Look at verse, it's on our outline here, Exodus 35. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, purple, blue, purple, scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair, ram skin, dyed red, another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for light, spices for the anointed oil, for the fragrant incense, the onyx stones, and other gems to be mounted on the ephod, the breastpiece. And look at verse 20. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence. And everyone who was willing and whose heart was moved came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all of its service, for the sac sacred garments. And all who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, signet rings, all sorts of gold objects and ornaments. Every person dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. So I want to take a look at some of this. It's amazing what you can find in the Bible when you read it. And God speaks to our hearts every time we pick up that Bible and read it. Well, let's take a look at some of these uh, observations of this. It's, number one, they gave in response to the command of God. They gave in response to the command of God. It was God using, he was going to use their obedience of heart to build a dwelling place for himself, the tabernacle. But we can see how that works also with us. Your body is the temple of the living God. We said it before, God is not, he doesn't need your money. He's not trying to get money out of your pocket. He's trying to get idols out of your heart. That's Next thing, good preaching. It is good preaching. <laughs> you know what? If you don't know these things, guess what? You're ignorant, and then you stand before God, and then He's going to still apply these truths to you. Whether you know these truths or not, they're being applied to every single person. So it's always better to know it. It's always better to be corrected before it's too late, isn't it? Okay. Number two, God used their stuff. To build his tabernacle. <laughs> Again, God didn't need their stuff. But he chooses to use their stuff to build his kingdom. Listen, saying he chooses to use the stuff gives an opportunity to participate in it. It's different than saying God needs your stuff. This is... This is, this is a test of your heart. It's a test of my heart. And 
what God does on this earth, it's always funded by God's people. It's always funded by God's people. Maybe that's why we, we can recognize not a whole lot gets done for God because this is a big thing. People say, oh, the church is all they want is my money. When's the last time you said that about your utility bills? <laughs> Where's Penn Power? All they want is my money. <laughs> the bank, your mortgage, all they want is my money. You pay rent, the landlord, all he wants is my money. Why does it stick so deeply in your heart when it comes to the church? Yeah. Just a thought. Yeah. So number three, observations from that Exodus that we just read, they gave in response to God's mercy and grace. I mean, they gave in response to God's mercy and grace. I mean, let's just remember that God had delivered them out of the hand oh. of the Egyptian Pharaoh, out of slavery. They saw his mighty hand move. Mm -hmm. They saw the judgments fall on the Egyptians. Okay, and then a few chapters before, if you read in Exodus, God spared them judgment and destruction. You know, when Moses goes 40 days up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, Aaron, you know, makes this golden calf from everything, some of the golden things that they had. And so they, they're bowing down to this idol in worship. I mean, God could have wiped them out and said, you, you guys are done. My mercies ran out, right? Mm. I mean, they knew they shouldn't even be alive. Right. God should have, God should have, could have, should have destroyed them for their sin. So they're giving back to God out of grace and mercy for their own forgiveness. Number four, they gave back then too from the blessing God had given them. I mean, when God says here in the wilderness, give me gold to buy my tabernacle, he's just reminding them, I'm asking you to give back to me what I've already given to you. And we say this a lot, you know, God owns everything, but I just don't know that we, we struggle with really believing that. Right. But it's an interesting observation. If you look at Exodus 35, verse 22, it says they gave gold and jewelry of all kinds, brooches, you know, signet rings, ornaments, armlets. Where'd they get that stuff? When God was leading them out of Egypt, he put a spirit of fear on the Egyptian, on Pharaoh. And, you know, God told the Israelites, ask them for their valuables. And the, and the Egyptians just unloaded right. all these valuable things, gave them to them. That's where they got it. They got it from their taskmasters. And then it said in, in Exodus 12, if you read it, it said they plundered. Right. The Israelites plundered the Egyptians. So they... God made it so that they had silver and gold to walk out with. Look at what it says here in Psalm 107, verse 37. He also brought them out. Awesome. This is talking about the Exodus. With silver and gold, and there was none feeble among his tribes. So, so see, they were only giving back what God had already put in their hands. Right. God gave them all of that. He's saying, now give me some of it back to build my tabernacle. And then they gave number five. No, oh, this is really good, too. They gave in anticipation of the future. Of the future. Mm -hmm. Now, put yourself in their place. God had promised to make them a blessing to all people of the earth. And he was going to bring the light of his presence from that nation to the whole world. The word of God, the living word of God was going to come out of that nation. But they determined that the gold in their ears wasn't as important as building the kingdom of God on the earth. And here's the cool thought about it all. The blessing God had promised them is why you and I are sitting here right now being saved. 3,000 years ago, they were obedient to what God had commanded them. And you and I are partakers of that offering right now. Yeah, that obedience, yeah. If they wouldn't have done that, we wouldn't have been here. Uh, we would have not been born again. But listen, every generation is built on the previous generation's obedience. Mm -hmm. That's the way it works. You know, every generation. We're, we're, we're living off of what our parents or our grandparents did for the kingdom of God. It's important to understand that 
by your obedience, you're placing that next generation or the generation after them in a position where they can step into the things of God and they can obtain the blessing that we paid for. We've got to understand we cannot live for the dot. You cannot live for this time because that's where your treasure is. It doesn't transfer to the kingdom. Listen, everybody's going to be filled with joy and living in paradise, but there will be a distinction between those people who were obedient and those people who were not. Those people who just got into heaven and those people who were willing to give their life for the mission. They gave in anticipating the next generation being blessed. Number six here, everyone had something to contribute. Exodus 35 verse 20 says that all the congregation of Israel was involved in this. Yes, everybody had different gifts. Everybody was able to participate in a different way. Everybody was involved. You cannot control the gifts or the resources that God has given to you, but you are responsible for what you do with what God has given you. This is number seven here. I love this part. They had to hold a congregational meeting to tell them to stop giving. Miracles. <laughs> Exodus 36, verse 5. They went to Moses and reported, The people have given more than enough materials to complete the job the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and this message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Their contributions was more than enough to complete the whole project. This is really, this is amazing. And I promise you, I promise you, that when this happens, Pastor Mamie and I will really look forward to calling that congregational meeting and say, <laughs> we have <Yeah>. enough. <laughs> I promise it'll be a really good meeting. <laughs> And again, they were building a tabernacle where the presence of God would dwell. Do you understand that God is trying to get the idols out of our heart so that he can dwell in our heart in a more full way? Yeah. We just have one more scripture here before we close and receive the offering. Mm -hmm. you know, I think one of the biggest reasons why people don't give or is fear. It's just fear that what if I don't have enough? What if I can't make ends meet? What if my job fails? What mm -hmm. if the economy fails? I mean, which is really, all those questions are really why you want to partner with God with Come your on. finances. Correct. Because there is safety in partnering with God in your finances. But sometimes you think, well, I want to be generous, but it's all those what ifs that go on in the back of my mind. Well, here's the one last scripture to share with you just to help bolster your faith in the promises of God. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it starts out saying, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will mm -hmm. also reap bountifully. There Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God, this is what we have to remember here, is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So he can make grace abound to you back to you, get money back to you, get blessing back to you. Verse 9, as it is written, he has distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. This means us. This is yep. talking about the people of God. He And he, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which mm. through us will produce thanksgiving to God. What is that scripture telling us? That God is able to make 
grace and blessing abound back to you so that you have sufficiency for what you need. Yes. Because it's our generosity to give over here, and we think, well, I might feel like I go without over here, but God's saying, I see it. I'll make it abound towards you. I'll make it come back to you. So we, we end up reaping, again, the way we sow. It is it's true. A, it is true. So uh, we're going to uh, take up our, this special offering. Uh, there's an offering envelope in front of you. Uh, please, if you're writing a checkout, I'd ask you to do this just for our own accounting sake. It would help us if you write in there, all in for life. On that, if you're giving by text right now, would you please put all in for life on that also? This is, this is really going to be helpful for us. Uh, one of the things that we've done for these last three weeks, we've brought this need uh, up to you because it is uh, the church that needs to take care of the needs of the church. Amen? And we've been teaching this to you because... Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We want you to exercise your faith in when you sow these seeds that you're going to reap a harvest. That scripture was outstanding scripture. You should reread that, reread that, reread that until it sinks in your heart. But here's the key. Even with the scripture, even with who said this scripture, you can still say no. Jesus, the Son of God, couldn't do any miracles in his own hometown because of their unbelief. See, we limit God by our unbelief. But what we need to do is start to believe him so that we can receive the blessings, the rewards that God promises. Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we're people of faith. Amen? Amen. You and I, the Bible declares and calls us believers. That's a good word to call us. We're believers. Amen? So the ushers, if you'd come forward, I'd like you to hold your offering up to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we can go, and it seems as though you're asking us to get out of the boat and walk on water. And I'm going to do that. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Yes, Lord. We're going to stand on the water and walk towards you, Jesus. We're not going to let the wind or the waves take our attention. We're going to trust you, believe in you, anticipating a reward, anticipating a harvest, because this is the completion of sacrificial giving. We give for your glory and honor in Jesus' name, amen Amen. Amen. and amen.